Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and on today's episode of the podcast, I have my friend with me, Chris Thomas. Uh, Chris is teaching pastor of Raymond Terrace Community Church, which is in Raymond Terrace, New South Wales, Australia. Uh, Chris is also a frequent contributor to the For the Church website, and he's a good friend. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for coming on today, brother. Hey, it's really my privilege. Thank you so much. <laughs> so it is, uh, for those listening, it's 3 o'clock p.m. Um, on a Tuesday. W- what is it for you? Uh, 8 a.m. on a Wednesday. Look so, at that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You make it to tomorrow. All good. That's right. Everything's good. Do we, ha- do we have jetpacks yet? Um, look, we're working on it, but uh, I'll let you know. You, you'll find out tomorrow. Okay, that's good. That's good. What I love is just you're on the other side of the world. I know I shouldn't be. I mean, this is the 21st century, so I shouldn't be wowed by this. But the audio sounds good, and yeah. uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, look, we we we're Generation X, aren't we? Uh, yes. I am at least. So. Yes. Um, we're still surprised by this stuff. That's good. <laughs> That's right, but I'm still waiting on the hoverboards. That's what I want. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're halfway there. We've got the boots, haven't we? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I first met Chris, uh, I think, three years ago. He was um, one of the figures, probably the, the central figure instrumental in bringing me to speak in Australia for the first time, for which I'll always be grateful. My wife and I will be making uh, our fourth trip together Um Next spring, we'll, where Chris and I will be speaking at the same conference again in Tasmania. And, um, and I just have, have grown to love this brother, spent time with um, his mother and father as well on our first visit. And uh, we just have developed a great friendship. So I was really glad to bring him on the podcast, but also uh, because he's, he's a very strong thinker. Chris, you're, um, to me, in terms of pastoral voices on gospel centrality, where a lot of um, folks seem to have moved on. They don't talk the lingo anymore um, or at least um, you know, speak about gospel-centered ecclesiology or gospel-centered uh, preaching. You're one of the few guys who um, is still holding down strong uh, as far as I can see. And so not only are you a good friend to me, but I think a very important and valuable voice in evangelicalism. So I, I I wonder if you'll just start by sharing with us a little bit about um, your context, right? Tell us about your church and um, your role there and uh, the city that you're in and all that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I, I won't uh, reference too much geography. I'm not sure how many of your listeners will be familiar with that. But um, in the Australian context, um, we would be considered to be a regional area. So, we, um, the church that we're in is about a town of about 13,000 uh, people, um, which is uh, just a small town really in our context. Um, we're, we're a good couple of hours, uh, two, two and a half hours drive north of the outskirts of Sydney, um, if that helps some people reference it a little bit. Uh, so it's, it's a regional area. Um, the town's fairly working class and, um, I mean, like everywhere, I guess there's a polarization of, uh, different, you know, income strands and all those sorts of things. But 
our church uh, is fairly representative of the region, I think. So we have a, a broad cross 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 section of um, you know folk who are come from all different sort of walks of life, and um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think we're fairly. I would just say that we're fairly normal. We're fairly normative of lots of churches, I think, in Australia. Um, maybe in certain circles, certainly in the circles of churches that um, I'm most familiar with, we'd, we would probably be a little bit larger than some some churches, and we've seen a fair bit of growth um, over the last 10 years. Um, having started as a church plant mm-hmm. about 40 years ago, 40, yeah, 40 years ago this year. Okay. So, um, it was initially planted in a very, um, as far as the gospel goes, a very, a very barren area and very little gospel uh, witness in this region 40 years ago at all. Um, so that's that's a little bit of the background, I guess, of, of where it's come from. Yeah, um, so planted 40 years ago by whom? Was it originally or still a, a brethren church? Am I remembering that right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, definitely the, the, the there were two couples instrumental in starting the work there 40 years ago. Both of them came out of a um, pretty um, pretty conservative uh, Christian brethren uh, church, and um, they saw the need to start uh, taking the gospel outside of their little walls, I guess. And um, the work was started here. Um, it soon became pretty apparent that how it was progressing here was um, there's, there's a geographical distance between the sending church and the, this church. Um, incidentally, that sending church no longer exists, unfortunately. It's um, closed its doors. But, um, yeah, so, so it's a, by DNA, it's um, a Christian brethren church, but in Australia, at least, there's a huge spectrum of those sorts of um, background churches, and uh, simply by their um, by their belief, by their structure, uh, their autonomy as churches, um, you, there'd be a lot of people in our church who wouldn't even know what Christian Brethren was. Yeah. Um, but yet, certainly, that is the shaping that has been the shaping force in our history and development. I see. Um- I know it's difficult to speak this way broadly. Um, it's similar in the U.S. when you talk about evangelicals or American Christians sure. because um, there are so many flavors and tribes and um, you know not just denominations but even overlapping denominations. Um, of course, I yeah. guess sort of you know theological persuasions and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, even within like the Southern Baptist Convention, there is. So um, you know, with trepidation, uh, could you describe for our American listeners uh, just sort of the the contours of Australian evangelicalism? Sort of what the major players are, major movements. What you know, yeah. uh, where it's come from, where it is, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, it's really hard to talk about the development of evangelical life in Australia separate to some of our. Um, some of the forces that it shaped the nation culturally. I mean, it's a young nation, um, you know, only a bit over a couple of hundred years old um, in its European development and largely shaped, of course. Everyone loves to make fun of Australians. We're the, you know, we're the land full of convicts, aren't we? So, um, <laughs> uh, 
the Princess Bride's famous lines of, you know, um, a land full of criminals. So, um, but in a large case, that's actually a, a shaping identity of Australia. So um, we were very much, uh, our European expression has been very much a, um, an expression of growing up uh, suspicious of authority. Yeah. Um, we've had a mistrust of authority, you know, sort of authoritative type voices. Um, we have very much a saying in Australia about the tall poppy syndrome, which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with, but anyone that sticks their head up a little bit above the crowd quickly, uh, you know, and lovingly gets rebuked. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's that sense of um, that's shaped the the contours of uh, the evangelical development in Australia. Um, so while there have been very strong figures, I think, throughout history um, and church movements probably that have shaped us, it tends to be a fairly um, it tends to be a fairly organic type of growth that happens here in Australia, where it's a little bit understated, a, a little bit subtle, um, and I think in more recent years, what what I'm seeing is that there's been, of course, just with globalization, um, you know, we're a very multicultural country now, so uh, we're influenced heavily um, by a lot of voices outside of Australia. Yeah, a lot of cultures um, and evangelical cultures from outside of Australia. But I think probably if I was to look at you know neighbouring evangelical countries that have influence. Most Australians would identify more closely with what's happening in the UK yeah. than probably what's happening in the US. Um, and that's probably just, um, you know, if we were to scale uh, post-Christendom type of um, thinking, the UK are probably ahead of us in the sense of how far they have moved into secularisation, um, how, how far they've moved away from you know, orthodox understanding of faith, Christianity, gospel um, as a culture. And and we're probably, you know, just a few steps behind them as a nation, whereas you guys are probably experiencing um, that that departure, for, at least for the way I read it from here. Um, you, you're probably just a little bit back behind us again as to how that's progressing in, in the U.S. So, Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a few things – that looked like they could be misleading along those lines. Like just, for example, I think same-sex marriage in in um, in the States, I think, came before. I don't know if you yeah. – is, is that nationally legal in yeah, – Yeah, nationally but that's, um, we right. had a relatively new – so within, yeah. within the last uh, – about 12 months ago, I think that, that all went through and officialized right. from a – from so, a policy point of view, yeah. Yeah, so in terms of like policy and I think um, this is – or just institutional recognition, yeah. um, there are in many ways I think the U.S. is a little further along the secularization. But just in terms of culturally and um, – yeah, yeah, culturally and I think um, ideologically you guys – yeah. Um, clearly, are further along than we are. Yeah. You're, you're more secular as a people yeah. um, than than the U.S. is, which is why I, I find it interesting. Um, you know, this struck me too. Just how how frequent um, Australians look to the U.S. for 
um, you know, missional influence or what have you, right? Whether it's Tim Keller or Andy Stanley. Yeah. Um, when I, I remember having a conversation with someone, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was you, but at a speaking engagement in in Australia, where they were saying they just thought there were more, um, in, in particular in the UK, um, influences that probably don't have huge platforms, but because of where they are, could be more helpful <laughs> than yeah, Americans sure. could be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that sort of um, progression of secularization, um, maybe. Maybe what I think that is most pronounced in is um, I think reading recently and seeing some of the the stats that were coming out of the US about um, you know the the national surveys or the censuses that are done where people are saying we're either Christian or we're you know um, no faith or or no belief or right. or whatever and you I think um, like the UK has Australia tends to have a real polarization. We don't have a, we, we have a much less of our general population who I'd, would identify as being Christian um, simply just because they're of, of nominal faith. Hmm. So we, we tend to have a, a strong, we don't have a lot of people sitting in the middle saying, yeah, yeah, I'm, um, I'm a Christian, um, but, but not in some way engaging and living out that faith in a, yeah. in a really sort of daily real sense. So you either have people saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a faith, and they're actually practicing some type of um, understanding of faith, whether that's orthodox understanding or not, um, or you have you know, a huge part of the population who are just saying, you know, man, this is all junk. We don't, we don't want anything to do with this. It's, yeah. There's no benefit in identifying. There's no cultural benefit to identifying as being a Christian in Australia if you're not. Right. Um, whereas I think in some nations, maybe in the US, to a certain degree, it's waning. But I've, my impression has been that there's certain um, cultural benefits, there's certain social benefits to identifying as being a Christian, um, even if you don't have an active faith. So, yeah. But we don't experience that a great deal in Australia. It's certainly there, but but it's becoming less and less and less all the time. And certainly that's where we'd be looking a lot to the UK because they've been experiencing that for you know, quite a few generations. So, That's right. in in a lot of ways, it reminds me, um, to some extent, of of New England here in the U.S. I, that would be our closest corollary, where sure. there yeah. is institutionally a an admiration for yep. a religious heritage, and yet uh, the highest concentration of people who identify. Um, you know, with no the faith. Nuns. Yeah, the nuns, yeah, right, right, right. The, right. the N-O-N-E nuns. <laughs> yeah. Because the other kind yeah, of yeah. nuns would be very religious. Yeah, <laughs> a huge state full of con- convents. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> um, but it, it's very similar where there's no cultural um, yeah. cachet or, or, or currency in identifying, um, especially with Christianity, and there is a, you know, a segment that would be hostile and then just largely just ambivalent, apathetic, um, about yeah. it, but there is no nominal, um, or at least not a, a sizable contingent of, of nominal yeah. Christianity there, yeah. like you might find in, in what we would call the Bible Belt or what have you. Sure. So, yeah. as we talk about like who to listen to, I mean, my opinion is we should be, um, by we I mean Americans should be listening uh, more to you guys. And um, so, I'd be curious, just uh, w- with this um, opportunity, what are some things that you're learning as you 
engage um, in evangelism and mission um, there in Raymond Terrace and and, and beyond. Um, what are you learning about um, doing Christian mission in a secularizing um, sort of post-Christian context? Yeah. Um, so, so I'll try and personify this lesson a little bit just by way of example. I, I had a conversation very recently with um, a girl in her mid-30s. Uh, so to give, her, give you some background, she was struggling through a divorce from a um, lesbian marriage and um, struggling with just a sense of loss of relationship and life and community and ostracization and a whole bunch of things. And she was just chatting it through. And um, she didn't know um, that I was a pastor. She didn't even know I was a Christian. Uh, we were strangers. And in the course of the conversation, uh, she asked, you know, what do you do? And I explained. And uh, she just sat there and looked at me like with this completely dumbfounded type of expression on her face. And then she said one of the most astounding things. This is a woman in her you know, early to mid-30s, and she said, I think, she said, I might be wrong, but she said, I think you may be the very first Christian I've ever met. Wow. <laughs> now, she said, I might have met another Christian, yeah, but I didn't know they were. But she said, you're the very first person I've ever met who I know is a a Christian, <laughs> claims to be a Christian, you know. And so we had this conversation, but but thinking about yeah, that is not probably um, – while, while it was a surprising thing to me, um, anecdotally I understand, certainly in Australia, that's that's becoming more and more the norm. Hmm. Um, and so in that context, you know, we, we're finding – one of the things we're learning here is that um, we were very driven, you know, I think, you know, go back 15, 20 years ago, uh, certainly our church was influenced heavily by some of the attractional models that were, you know, publicized out of the US. And um, and 20 years ago, I, I you know, from, from our church's history and plenty of churches in Australia, we, we're heavily influenced by some of um, that thinking and that model, which tends to move towards much more event-driven, um, you know, proclamation type of the gospel. Um and working it through very much around programmatic thinking, um, very linear, um, sort of formulaic type of do A, B, C, and you will get D type yeah. um, stuff. And I think that the Australian church, certainly us as a church, we're, we're discovering over the last decade or so more and more um, how how poorly that works in, in our context, at least. Um, and, and I'm not, not to say that there's not some place in the world or some of some specific circumstance where they may still bear fruit. Um, but I would say in, in the general uh, tone of the conversation here, we, it just doesn't work. It just falls flat in our context um, so severely. I think in Australia, you know, the general person is so suspicious of anyone coming in and, it sounds like a spruik, you know. Do you have that saying? It no. sounds like a, it sounds like a, a hard sell. Okay. Um, and <laughs> if you if you walk into a cultural context in Australia with a, you know, uh, a flashy presentation and a slick um, guy up the front, you know, who's pretty articulate and all, and people are already 
just suspicious of that. Okay, well, um, let me stop you right there for a second. So explain Hillsong to me. Yeah, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> well, no, look, look. Hey, Hill, don't say anything you don't want to say, but no, no, that, no, that no, immediately no. came I, to mind not, when you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, Hillsong have um, even in Australia they they are an anomaly. Okay. Um, and take that as you will, whether I'm speaking positively or not. I I think that there have been things that Hillsong have contributed which are positive in and of themselves. So I'm, I'm not sort of sitting here throwing stones. Um, but in the sense of how they relate culturally, um, they certainly, they're, they're by far one of the largest um, <clears throat> largest organisations, I'll use that word, to um, uh, you know, that have a massive following uh, worldwide, but, um, but certainly in Australia. And so they've got, it's not to say that, you know, um, or they're almost a franchise in Australia. I mean, they sort of Hillsong Church is popping up on every corner. So, yeah. um, and they're, they're well organised. They've got, you know, they're they're a big organisation. So they 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 do things organisationally well. Um, I think people in Australia are still looking for places to belong. Community is. You know, it's a sort of super cultural type experience that no matter where you are, I think people are longing for some type of um, experience of be- of belonging, um, and so they'll find that. That what we find in Australia, at least, uh, you know, certainly from from conversations that I've had with folk that have been involved personally with Hillsong at a ministry level, and then people that have been a part of it, Hillsong, Hillsong have a a very big back door. Yeah. Um, so there are people who are engaging with it. Um, and then, yeah, certainly, um, certainly seem to move on. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a similar issue in, in the States as well. Um, so in terms of reaching post-Christian culture as such a broad and, and, uh, kind of amorphous, yeah. Um, you know, Dima to speak to, um, what would you say are just like one or two key takeaways? What, what are things sure. Um, sure. that you found helpful? Um, this, these might be, you know, no surprise to, to your listeners or to yourself by any means, but probably more than ever, um, we just can't enter into anything with any form of assumption about a foundation of um, faith or understanding or belief or knowledge or anything. So it it really is, um, it, it's, I think it's a mistake to think about our post-Christian culture as equating with a pagan culture. I, I think there are too many differences hmm. um, between pagan culture and post-Christian culture that they're, they're not the same. Um, so I don't think there are, you know, early the early methodology or missiology type approaches that, you know, people went out into deepest, darkest tribal areas. And, you know, I don't think those things necessarily um, come across, but, but certainly the sense of not assuming knowledge. I mean, this, you know, girl that I met never meeting a Christian, she'd never stepped into a church. She had no knowledge of the scriptures. Um, And I, I do some work in local schools and, Definitely, I've had conversations. It's not just secondhand information, but conversations with kids who um, really Jesus, uh, the name of Jesus 
has, holds no more significance than simply a word to say when you've kicked your toe or yeah. mm. um, it just has no historical um, knowledge or credibility to them at all. So it really does start to shape um, a lot of work has to be done in what we would just call pre-evangelism. I mean, it's evangelistic effort, but it's it's pre your traditional gospel presentation that you would um, that you would start with someone. Um, so even just um, talking with someone, you, you've really got to start a long way back and develop relational credibility with them, um, and then start to speak into that sort of light almost that lifestyle witness where they're starting to see uh, how you're engaging and interacting in a community um, and how that differs from how they engage and interact in their community. And it starts to, to open up a, a sense of longing to yeah. say, I, I want what's, what's different, you know, and I think it's that, you know, where Peter, Peter speaks into the first century context and he's saying, you know, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Um, that becomes a that's a huge thing here in Australia is that sense of and that's not apologetics that's not a sense of arguing and reasoning that's literally um, being ready to sit there and say hey you know someone's saying man what's going on in your life how how come you respond like that how can you have that type of confidence how can you have that type of um, peace and and a, and a readiness to be able to just speak into that context. Um, out of your own expression of walk with Christ. So it's, yeah. it's, it's simple. It's maybe it's just because we're Australian, but we love simple stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, in terms of the practicalities, however, right, because I think there are some over here who they're hitting on the same things that you are, yeah. which is that people they have different sources of authority. Uh, yeah. There isn't a lot of moral credibility or at least uh, cultural cachet with um, re- referring to the Bible, this or, or, yeah, or what yeah. have you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just speaking for the way you do church, right? You, you do expository preaching? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, and look, a lot of churches do. It's it's not uh, it, widely in the Australian context. There are probably only pockets of um, church and tri- you know, church tribes or whatever, but um, who who would make that a mainstay of their teaching? But yeah, I mean the bread and the bread and butter of our teaching ministry and preaching ministry is expository. Yeah. Um, what about uh, reformational theology? Would you say that you subscribe to that as well? Um, as look again, there's there's pockets where it's not as big. I don't think in Australia the Re- Reformation um, sort of reform theology is not as big here as it. I think it has. Is yeah. in maybe the US, but no, but I mean you or or your church. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm very much um, approaching a preaching ministry and a pastoral ministry with a sense of, um, you know, op- open up the the context, open up the opportunity for people just to see the glory of God. Um, what God is doing to draw people to Himself, um, He does <laughs> far greater than than what you know, my literary ability to be able to shape a sermon will ever be able to do. Um, And so that context of, you know, exposing people to to preach and see through the scriptures that this is who your God is and this is who Christ is and this is his um, expansive love and and his great sacrifice, but but bringing it forward to bear in people's lives, but, um, but not just in a... 
um, sort of, you know, your, your sort of nice three-point, um, <laughs> cleanly wrapped up type of thing. It's It just becomes a lot more messy than that, I think, in – in, in, if I can say that, in the sense of not in the sense of um, haphazard type preaching, yeah. Um, so it's not sort of just preaching to people's felt needs in any shape or form, but people are sitting there just saying, "Well, you know, the sovereignty of God—that's fantastic." But but what difference does that make when I'm, yeah. you know, grappling with whatever? And so, um, very committed to expository preaching, um, but at the same time, trying to just um, bring that at a level to sort of say, this is not heady, um, you know, academic sort of stuff. This is, this is every day. This stuff is, this is, this will meet you when you're, when you're grieving over your son or your daughter or your, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Um, so helping people to sort of, I think part, it's pastorally applying deep and wonderful theology. Yeah. yeah um, the reason I ask the questions is not, um, I mean, and it's it's questions that I think I knew the answer to, and I could ask you more. Sure. But it's simply to demonstrate that to do effective and biblical, um, you know, apologetic, evangelistic, uh, church yeah. mission in um, a place like where you are, you don't have to trade in things like, um, you know, the sovereignty of God, the sufficiency of the scriptures, no. um, Christocentrism, all the things yeah. that over here people often say, hey, you, you got to either put those in the background or realize that's yeah. for outdated, what yeah. have you. So, um, Look, and, I mean, yeah. I, I would um, I would add to that, Jared, that if anything, um, I would I would say that in the context that we're in, it actually heightens the need mm. to to place the spotlight back there. The, the simplicity, um, I mean, the, the simplicity of the gospel. Um, and yet, you know, we understand that as as we preach the the simple message of the cross, that there is a profound, um, you know, weight of glory that comes with <laughs> that comes with that. But um, but people, I think, are here at least are are tired of the they're tired of the complexity of culture and society. They're tired of the complexity of the um, you know, of what has been put forward as being this is what church looks like, this is what faith looks like. And there's almost a sense of relief that we find where people just come and say that sigh of, um, I don't have to, there's not so many hoops and jumps and doors to go through. It's There's just the simplicity of the, of the message. Um, and that does the work, you know. And I think there's, we find here the growth that we've seen here, both through people coming to faith, um, you know, from a completely non-church, secular background, and then maybe other Christians who are returning to um, to faith in the sense of an active faith. That um, we have we have found that very much it's been about a sense of just going. Um, we love the fact that we can just rest in who God is um, and what He's doing, that's and excellent. so I think that's that that has a huge impact in our context. That's great. All right, let's take a break for a minute and listen to a message from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. 
Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're talking with Chris Thomas. He's teaching pastor at Raymond Terrace Community Church, which is in Raymond Terrace in the Hunter Valley of New South Wales, Australia. Um, Chris, we were talking about ministry and mission in a post-Christian culture. Uh, I wonder if you could just share a little bit about your childhood. I know you grew up a, a missionary kid. Your father's a pastor, but uh, a missionary to the aboriginals. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Sure. So, um, you know, far, we've, we've got a huge Aboriginal population in Australia, um, original inhabitants of, of this nation before the European settlement uh, during the 1700s. But um, my family were working amongst uh, an Aboriginal community in far northern Australia, very remote, um, you know, just even today with good roads and all the rest of it 40 years later, uh, for me to drive to um, this little community that I grew up in, it's still a good, you know, 16 hours or, you know, 14 to 16 hour driving days. It still take me three days to get there. Um, mm. And it's it's still incredibly remote, um, except they've got Wi-Fi now. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, How is that? I know, I know. Um <laughs> Everyone it's has Wi-Fi now. It's a sign of the times. But um, <laughs> look, yeah, I, I grew up in uh, my my dad was working uh, up there amongst the Aboriginal people, um, and I was born and raised up there all my formative years. Um, so I grew up as a a minority race um, in in Australia, um, in my immediate context. Yeah. Um, so while you know in, in Australia today, uh, just purely on statistics and numbers, Aboriginal people are a minority. Um, I grew up with the experience of being the minority. Um, it was a township of about you know, five or 600 people, and my family and one other family were the only Europeans there for, for quite some time. Um, so, yeah, it, it was um, hugely formative, Um you know, very isolated, no technology, no telephones, no TV. Um, it was very much a, you know, even today you can go into those communities and sort of think that you're in a developing nation somewhere. So, mm. Is this where you uh, you swam with crocodiles as well? Is it crocodiles or? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, <laughs> yeah, all, all those things, you know, crikey, Mick Dundee, he's my hero. Uh, no. You're kind Look, of the gospel-centered crocodile Dundee, if I can <laughs> be stereotypical yeah, no, I, for a second. Look, I'm going to take that. I, um, I'll, I'll wear that as a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, look, yeah, no, you know, crocodiles in the rivers and um, all those sorts of things. And But that's, I mean, that was just, that's just our normal. It's, it's yeah. what, I mean, that's not everywhere in Australia. This, sure. Um, but in, in the area in Australia that we were in um, and the area that I grew up in, I didn't know anything different to that. Um, that's your context you grow up in. I guess there are people in certain parts of the U.S. that grow up, you know, and they, they're aware that there are bears when they go for a walk or whatever. So <laughs> yeah. um, you you just take precautions and you're, you're aware of what you need to do. But um, I didn't think anything of it. That's just... That was just our normal. Yeah. Um, 
pet snakes and you know <laughs> all those sorts of things were just I just thought that's don't all kids do that yeah you know so um and they don't of course but but no. I did <laughs> yeah I think it's an Australian thing there right because everything there can kill you and y'all just grow up like it's all normal yeah yeah that's, that's how we stay sane that's, that's how we stay sane. <laughs> we just live in constant fear otherwise so yeah all right well I want to switch gears just for a second here although it's not really an entirely different um yep. subject because I think what what I want to ask you about is pretty vital to um, church mission and, um, yeah, just the the way of um, adoring the gospel. So why don't you share a little bit with us about your family and your family's um, fostering and adoption uh, story? Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, we... I think growing up, even connecting it back to where I grew up, we, we grew up in a sense where there's, you know, hugely broken community and largely because of substance abuse. And um, and so growing up in seeing the effect of that in the family um, and the way that impacts communities and generational um, consequences from that, I think it had always been a part of my um, my outlook, my my paradigm that, um, particularly as Christians, particularly as followers of Christ, that there's this sense of um, engaging in the world around us, which is shaped by the gospel, that actually has practical outworkings and expresses the gospel in practical ways. So um, while I'm not a, a massive advocate for what, you know, some would cliche call that sort of social gospel type um, thing, I, I think to divorce um, our faith and our and the gospel from the way that we engage in the world around us is is equally a massive mistake. Yeah. Um, and so that that led my wife and I um, sort of a bit over ten years ago to start pursuing and thinking through what does it look like for us to engage in um, in care for vulnerable uh, for the vulnerable people of our world. And one way that we thought we could do that was to start doing foster care. Um, and so we we engaged in that fairly naively. <laughs> um, I think we had fairly romantic visions about what that would look like, and uh, we had three children of our own, uh, all fairly young at that stage. And so about just almost ten years ago, we uh, we started fostering. So we now have two um, two permanently placed children out of the foster care in our home, um, sort of moving towards um, adoption. I think our systems are different in Australia to the US, but. Um, but these these two uh, brother and sister uh, are in our home and have been since birth. Uh, w- what we didn't realise when we started into this, um, although we thought that you know these kids are coming from whatever backgrounds, um, and we're going to have an opportunity to enter, let them enter into our world, and um, what we've discovered along the way is what what really happens is they don't enter into our world, but but we in fact enter into their world, hmm. and the the brokenness of trauma and generational abuse and substance and all the rest of it that leave a mark, um, you you get drawn into that world. And it, it has been along the way uh, a huge journey for us to come to terms with how do we continue to, um, how, how do we best, how do we best express and show um, the gospel in this immensely broken uh context and you know there's family connections and whatever that we've we now have with um our two youngest children and um 
and just trying to work it through. And I think it forces us to go, you know, it's one thing to sit, um, you know, behind the pulpit and tell your people in pews that God can step into their world and restore brokenness and all those sorts of things, uh, which I 100% agree with. But then on Monday or Tuesday to be sitting with a little child in your home that's, you know, both of our children are affected by fetal alcohol syndrome. They both have experienced brain damage and physical damage because of um, in utero exposure to alcohol and substances and and to realise that God still is restoring brokenness in those contexts um, and broken relational contexts with their families. It, it forces us to think through, I think, how really does the gospel come to bear into this? Um, and and more in, I think, in, in how that applies into our own thinking and life and the way that God's ministered to us personally, and that has been, I think, profound for us in the last 10 years or so. Oh, that's fantastic, brother. Um, what's ahead for you? What are you looking forward to in in, uh, in the new year? Man, I am looking forward to getting up and just sharing the pulpit with you, brother, in Easter, oh, at Easter time. That's um, right. It's coming quick. Yeah, yeah. So I think next year we're gonna we're gonna share some ministry together when you're out in Australia, which is um, which is great. Um, look, I think <clears throat> apart from that, though, look, the next twelve months for us is um, you know we have still a lot of engagement in the foster industry, uh, you know, sort of um, world, and particularly in developing our understanding of um, fetal alcohol syndrome um, as it as it applies in Australia, which is becoming a massive. Um, a massive issue in the health industry, and so my wife and I are both involved in doing some advocacy work with that um, from a Christian perspective and, and sort of getting alongside some other organisations and helping them um, in looking how, particularly how they can um, support and minister to um, those who are frontline carers in that context, you know, because it can be pretty hard. So we've got a few opportunities of doing that, and then um, I've been doing a little bit of travelling uh, between here and New Zealand, doing some work with some um, churches over in New Zealand, and that'll that'll continue this coming year, Lord willing. And uh, that, I've been loving that. So, yeah, between a little bit of travel um, and just, it, I mean, it's just it's the normal stuff, right? It's yeah. it's being a dad and um, tucking your, your your little boy into bed at night and praying with him and showing him that um, you know his day was pretty rotten, but um, God's grace is sufficient for tomorrow as well. And, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of people, I think they look, look at traveling and, and speaking at conferences and they go, wow, that's so, um, so amazing. And I go, it is, it's a great opportunity, but, um, you know, man, the, the 99% of ministry is just in the really everyday mundane, you know, <laughs> things that happen, yeah. um, that, that no one would look at and say, "Gee, that's spectacular." <laughs> and you, um, but but I'm convinced that that's that that's actually where the spectacular really is. You know, that's the yeah. that's the normal stuff, yeah. um, and that's what counts really in the long run. So, so that's that's pretty much what I'm I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just trying to stick it as normal as possible, and then uh, when when God opens up doors here and there to do something that's a little bit outside of that, I um I grab it if if I can. That's awesome. Brother, it was great talking with you. I can't wait to see you next year. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a huge privilege, mate. Huge. Yeah. Oh, and I, I haven't said it yet, so I'll say it now, but g'day. 
G'day to all all you guys over there in the U.S. And are, yeah. yeah, are you having a blooming onion for lunch? <laughs> yeah, um, let me just dispel that one. No one here eats blooming onions, all right? So, so the Outback Steakhouse just, over there is just called the Steakhouse, right? It's a whole. It's a whole. The whole thing is a lie. Yeah. Don't don't believe it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we do put shrimps. We do put shrimps on barbies, though. We, yes. we do that. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. All right, brother. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the For the Church podcast. We've been speaking with Chris Thomas, who's teaching pastor at Raymond Terrace Community Church in Raymond Terrace, Australia. Um, Chris is a great writer and a frequent contributor to For the Church. Please go to ftc.co. You can look up all of his posts there. I would recommend to you, um, just sort of based on the last topic of conversation, his blog post called A Father to the Fatherless. That uh, would speak uh, well to your soul, I think. Uh, If you like the podcast, as always, give us a great review on iTunes. Recommend us to your friends and family and dear, dearest, cherished loved ones. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.